This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, this is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, executive coach, performance consultant, and host of the Do I Dare podcast. If you're a leader who wants to inspire, empower, and raise the leadership bar, then you have come to the right place, my friend. Here you will get access to powerful yet practical solutions that elevate your performance and dissolve roadblocks. Do you dare to lead in a way that moves the needle and scales the impact? Yeah? Then let's do it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Do I Dare podcast. I'm Kimberly Kleiman Lee, your host. In today's episode, I aim to help you address what I think is one of the most daunting of requests. It's when someone says, so tell me about yourself. We've all been on the receiving end of that one, right? Job interviews, dinner parties, new client meetings, at conference break tables. And many of us have left others wanting to know more. So many of us have deduced our stories down to our job titles or the latest project we're working on. If we're lucky, someone might throw in where they went to school or where they live. And if we're really lucky, we might get to hear a bit about their family or specific interests or what makes them unique. Beyond that, we remain a bit of a mystery to each other. For a long time, I struggled with the parts and pieces to that response myself. And when I left General Electric to start my own consultancy, I wanted to refresh my story. I wanted to be able to articulate my interests and my value in a way that was compelling and authentic. I worked with my friend and today's guest, Dr. Dennis Ribello, on my story, and it was a game changer for me. That's when I knew I had to have him on my show. I have known Dennis for several years now, and he is proven to be equal parts a brilliant academic, a compassionate coach, and an empathetic studier of human stories. I'm especially honored to offer this podcast on the day his book is released to all. His book, Story Like You Mean It, launches today everywhere you buy books. I'll put more information in the show notes, of course. But what I love about Dennis's book is that he has now made this methodology available to everyone. So without further ado, let's talk to Dennis. Alrighty, Dennis, I believe we are recording, my friend. Hello. Uh, hello, Kimberly. How are How you? How are you, Dr. D? It's so great to uh, see your smiling face. And I know <laughs> I'm the only one who gets to enjoy it, of course, in this podcast world. But um, anytime I get to spend with you is just always a joyful day, week, and month for me. So thank you for spending this time. Absolutely. It's an honor to be with you. How long ago did we meet? Let's just kind of reminisce here for a second. I think it's been a good, what, seven years, would you say? It's been a few years. I, I, we went to, uh, we were at a conference, you know, I was thinking about that pre our formal conversation here and it, it was in Chicago. I, I actually wasn't yeah. sure I was going to go to Chicago and it was, uh, you know, a chief learning officer type of, you know, corporate event, you know, yes. folks were there from Apple, you and the wearing your GE colors and yes. the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. And I remember you just being such a highlight of that meeting. So it was our first time meeting. I was interested actually in your assessment tool, which was um, so fascinating, the way that you've broken down human behavior into those very specific categories. And then I just remember us riffing off on like 450 topics. Does that, does that ring a bell to you? It ring, rings all kinds of bells, just as, uh, as it did then. Yeah. You, you were quiet too. You were like, you came in a bit like a clandestine sort of, uh, you know, 
lead organizational transformation person on, way under the radar, like, I mean, just remarkably so. And, you know, just kind of poking around and, you know, you're, you're very clever about how you unpacked oh, what yeah. we did. And I thought that, you know, this, this person is very inquisitive and uh, uh, intentional. And also, you know, this, like, the curiosity that you had to serve others, like, was obvious, like completely obvious to me. And so I think that's probably how you hooked me. I mean, that's how relationships work, right? You, you start to feel like the person has a value and you, you extend your time in that exchange. Oh, well, I so appreciate the compliment. Usually I'm not called quiet. So point number <laughs> exhibit A. And second, I think you could have been the whole conference for me. So we, you were so eclectic in your thoughts and perspectives about human behavior. I knew when I went on this podcast journey that I absolutely had to have you on, not only for the specific purpose of our conversation today, which is all about telling your story and story pathing, which is your official product and cannot wait to announce your book uh, coming up, of course. But the way in which you literally merge left brain, right brain thinking, you use a ton of data and evidence-based research to talk about the human condition, the human form, and you've put it into this amazing package that helps humans really be thoughtful about who they've been, who they are, who they want to be, and how they put all of that together to help others just connect to them in a much easier way. Did I say share that okay? Yeah, you did. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, the way you synthesize it spot on, you know, the, the data from, and I want to give a, a bit of a credit here to uh, Roy Horan, who Roy is uh, sort of my Hong Kong brother in a way. He um, is a gentleman who I met who was working on the IPSP, the uh, taking the I Ching, which is uh, for folks who like to study Eastern philosophies, religions, and cultures, it is a sort of a way that um, Eastern cultures tend to balance, especially the Chinese balance. It's a balancing uh, mm. methodology. And he was using it as a way to uh, how the I Ching could balance uh, opposing psychological competencies. Now in leadership, mm. this was like, what's the opposite of influencing? It's being open, right? It, it's uh, being contextually aware the opposite of influencing, right? You have to stop doing the influencing to be open. So I have to always honor Roy because he hooked me too. Uh, all these people that you hook into start to create the latticework, right? And uh, of life. So I'm really, I, I always think of Roy and uh, uh, I'm at these again. He's back in Hong Kong right now. I'll be, be speaking to him next week, but yeah, so, so absolutely. So yeah, data-driven, right? Because uh, you have to have sometimes a, a tool for human beings to ground themselves in so that they can say, you know, oh, you're not judging me, right? Yeah. 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 This is the this is the truth. The truth, the data is the truth. You gotta kind of believe that part, right? Absolutely. So I remember, so let's just go back to that conference. I'm gonna share with the <laughs> listeners my impressions of you. And then I want to literally open it up. Your forte is definitely helping people to tell their story in a productive way. But and I and I want you to to share yours because it's so eclectic, past, present, and I think your ambitions for the future are phenomenal. So when I first met you, here's my impressions. Wicked smart, wicked, wicked, wicked smart. Again, you could have been my whole conference, my whole two-day conference. Um, Exceptional storyteller. You are able to make the complex super clear and help other people 
reframe their frustrations, their curiosities, their differences in a way, again, that makes the most sense to them, which I think is such a skill, such a gift. Uh, you, again, so eclectic in your background, when people hear about your experiences, and I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to blow up, but I am going to pull it apart after you announce it. Um, I think they're going to really enjoy that you've been able to just collect these parts and pieces and put them together in this magnificent uh, new way. Um, and then the last part, again, that I think drew me uh, to you so much is that not only are you just a salt of the earth, good guy, but you're obsessed with human behavior like I am. <laughs> and that obsession has been your life's work. So with that said, I would love for you to unpack your story for our listeners. And then let's weave our way into how others can get as good about knowing themselves and telling their story as, as you are. Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, you know, you know, narrative is our story in particular is our native way of communicating, right? You don't teach a, a child how to tell a story. They just do it, you know? Uh, yet we spend all of this time in, you know, this in, in the corporate world teaching people how to tell their story. So it's a bit like a, a Benjamin Button thing, right? Like yeah. how is it, but in a little bit more of a twist, how do you know so well how to communicate with this, like, we'll call it a mental muscle, right? But you have less capacity over time. So that's really wild. And, and uh, I was fascinated with, with why is this the case? And why are, before I guess I unpack my story, I just want to say, isn't that the case to your listeners, right? Haven't you mm -hmm. been in situations where you, you're an adult, you're accomplished, you have credentials, you have lived experiences. But then in this sort of moment of either self-introduction or at the beginning of maybe uh, integrating some teams, if you're a leader or starting a new business and enterprise, suddenly you wrangle with words, mm. right? But it just seems a bit uh, like schizophrenic of sorts, right? Because you made these decisions based on all of the things that you believed, but sorting through them and distilling them into language that can adequately show your value and worth in the particular scenario at a particular moment in time. Boy, I was fascinated with that. And, and I didn't realize when I was, uh, so here's, here's my story, by the way, as you wished it to be told, I guess, or mm. maybe some version of it. You know, I was a BMX kid, you know, I mean, back uh, in the day, I was a bike riding kid who, so when I say BMX, I'm talking pre-X games, just to give everybody an understanding <laughs> that I am a little over 50 and the X games weren't really in the scene that and I, I, I enjoyed riding my bike and to the point where I started racing on Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, Friday nights, Sunday nights. And my parents actually uh, probably fueled the obsession. My dad said, hey, well, there's a bunch of land over there. We could probably lease it from that guy. I don't think he's going to develop anything. And, and we built a bicycle motocross track, sanctioned the whole deal. And, you know, I, I uh, took a dive, uh, literally, uh, on my bike. and. They thought I broke my neck, but it was a cervical sprain. Uh, but it was severe enough where it immobilized me for the entire summer. I was 13, a little over 13 at the time. And I, and I was always good at school too. So now I'm this geek of a kid a little bit, but quietly geeky, right? As much as you can be. In other words, I skipped wearing glasses so I wouldn't be tagged as a geeky <laughs> kid. I was very socially aware that you could be misunderstood and mischaracterized. And, and I love school from the start. And my, even though the first day of school, I actually was put in a precarious situation. Uh, 
it's not the word I would have recalled or used to tag the experience, but I, we probably all recall the first day of school, the excitement, et cetera, right? It's a bit of a, a moment, right? You leave mom and dad or your uncle, your aunts, your grandparents, whoever your caregivers are, and you dive into school. Well, I went to school. And I was so excited about it because it was just a, a block. There were two schools. I lived in a New England neighborhood. There was literally a yellow schoolhouse uh, to the right of my house, one block. Back behind my house, one block, there was a red two-floor, actually three-floor technically, brick schoolhouse. It was like quintessential with a library connected, uh, not connected, but on the property connected. Old school, Dennis, yeah. Old, old school, Kimberly, old school. Well, I landed there my first day and they sorted me into a group of kids. Well, that group of kids uh, were uh, ELL kids, what we call ELL kids today, English language learners. They were Portuguese kids. You see, my last name is Rebello, R-E-B-E-L-O. And I was evidently put there because uh, I was thought not to be able to speak English. And the teacher who I always saw in town said, can you believe? And then she said something derogatorily about Portuguese people, they, they bring their kids to this country and they don't even teach them English before we get our hands on them. Mm. And that was my first day of school. And so I take you back there because I was an eager learner and I had to figure out from a psychological standpoint with not a lot of tools or education, how am I going to resolve this feeling? Right. And I didn't think much of it for a long period of time. And I just said, well, I have to not be too sensitive, although I was a sensitive, receptive kid. I have to figure out how to prove this person wrong that Portuguese people are bad. They're like, you know, that they're uh, infecting the neighborhood. So I tell this part of the story because I was always fascinated with belonging and not belonging. Mm -hmm. What allows a person to feel compelled to move into space to show their competencies and worth. So retrospectively, I didn't know it. That moment meant a lot in my life. Because how you can teach someone to self-represent, if I, were, if I were a young kid who heard that today, maybe I would say something at five or six or seven or eight or 18 years old, hey, let me tell you about my grandparents in there and my story. But I, I couldn't do that then, right? I was a young kid and I was shy. So I went from the Portuguese kid, isolated, misunderstood. And then I uh, became a BMX rider. Eventually, I ended up being a science kid uh, after the injury. I really poured myself into hard sciences. And I learned uh, f physics was really complicated, right? It was a really complicated area of study. Anybody who's taken a physics class knows that it's just wildly complicated. I, I realized when I was at the University of Rochester, what was more complicated uh, than uh, physics and laser beams were, were human beings at work. So I said, you know what, let's study this. So I uh, got into organizational psychology then. Uh, and then the rest of it's more or less history, Duquesne, a little stint at Dartmouth, and then my PhD in organizational systems and with a heavy dose of humanistic psych. So that's my story. And I became obsessed with helping people mitigate, explain, or in a way, account for their narratives, right? And those mm -hmm. key moments that when you embed them into narrative or your own storytelling, give a, like this really cool episode of your life some some liveliness, right? Some animation, so that the competencies and the motivations, right? The the people and places that energize you are, are felt by the listener. And so that's what I decided uh, to do with my, I guess, my time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So physics kid could have been anything in that world in terms of what you studied, the work you did, who you were affiliated with. 
but became so curious about the humans at work versus the work itself, in this case, the physics, that you went on this incredible journey of, um, of collecting information, hypotheses, approaches, and uh, we meet and start to unpack story pathing, which is your, your product for that. So, so get me up to speed, yeah. you know, get the, the listeners up to speed in terms of, of current day. Yeah. Since then, I've been invited to the parties, such as when I say the parties of, uh, you know, I mean, the organizations that wanted to do work on storytelling. So I led uh, as president of Alex Anani's corporate university, the development of all of the content and the training and the deliverables, which helped that organization go from about, I think it was 18 people when I started to about probably 1,380 plus people. When I left, that was a four-year rip. I also helped uh, the, um, I was a co-founder of the Sports Mind Institute, which interviewed the top leaders in sports. Tony Dungy uh, was one of them. Paul D. Podesta, who is the uh, person credited with the transformation of the Cleveland Browns. So if you're an Ohio person, mm-hmm. uh, a Browns fan, shout out to uh, those Brown folks uh, out there because those uh, those fans haven't seen championships in a long time. Now, before that, Paul was a senior vice president of the New York Mets and and folks like Tom Garfinkel as well, CEO of the Dolphins. I was invited to speak to a couple of sports executives, one from the NFL and one from uh, Major League Baseball. And and they said, hey, let's start this thing. What would we call it? And I said, the Sports Mind Institute. And I flew around the country uh, capturing narratives two hours to six and a half hours long. And uh, the Sports Mind Institute is, you know, is basically has taken those interviews um, and I oversaw how those were chopped up into modules to teach people through story uh, what these sports minds learned during their work life journey. So I've always been organizing story, studying story. My PhD is in work life integration uh, through narrative. Now, story pathing. That's that's the real question. So story pathing. What happened? And can I yeah, can yeah. I interrupt yeah, you there for a second? All day. <laughs> just because I think all day, you're the the Sports Minds Institute is just such a fascinating service to a very specific population. Mm-hmm. Tell the listeners a little bit about who was your audience there and what was really the intention yeah. behind storytelling for them. Well, I so just to be, it, with complete transparency, I no longer own that company, but that company still exists, and the audience was going to be. Uh, so it was actually, this was an interesting conversation that we had, the owners had, was do we help young people in sports understand the richness of these sports minds' lives? And, and the answer was, well, yeah, that's a great thing to do. So that was an audience. The other audience was, could we help people in business, right, rethink how these life lessons might be? Uh, integrated into the way they think about their own business, right? So that it's almost like, uh, you know, lessons on the fly. And this was really quite a bit before the birth of online education or the rapid uh, dissemination of it as we see it today, post-COVID and during COVID. Now, everything's remote now, right? You couldn't get an 84-year-old uh, uh, professor to teach an online class uh, two years ago. So we did this in 2014. I think it was officially the launch was 2016, uh, but it, I had been working on it since 14. So story pathing is it's essentially the process of curating your own narrative, 
But instead of, you know, a lot of folks sort of say, oh, you know, like, oh, my story, my story, but they weren't exact enough. Now, remember, I'm a physics kid, right? I like process. I grew up uh, with my dad running a, st a steel company. So I know about supply chain management and the functions of things and uh, meaning the individual roles and departments, et cetera. And I thought to myself, if I could be structural, like good art is structural, you have to have the right medium. You have to write the, the viscosity of the paint, the temperature. You know, if I could investigate, which is what I did in my doctoral work, how people successfully told stories, I could break down the psychological ingredients of it. And I could help people more intentionally prepare for the moment that I saw them goofing up the most. You know, I was interviewed by someone from a magazine last week about, you know, why did you finally write the book? And I said, well, I was just so tired of seeing people who had such skills and, and great intentions roll into companies, leadership roles, interview as young students, and not be able to create not a pitch. This is not an elevator pitch, folks. Uh, a meaningfully unfolded story that not only resolved who they were for themselves as the teller, but also was able, uh, was, was helpful as an apparatus, a process of packaging key life mm -hmm. moments that could be ordered up in a particular sequence to have a positive impact on the audience, depending on the audience, the telling, the intention, and the goal. So right, right. I, I went wild about it, much like you fascinated, obsessed. And story pathing, if I look at the genesis, probably the first time I used the phrase was 2011 when I was in Oxford, England, doing a presentation on high stakes storytelling. Yeah. yeah. And what was so interesting about you and I then transitioning to start to talk about all, you know, storytelling and story pathing and your uh, great deep research is my own personal reflection of Gosh, I think my introductions have been deduced to my titles. Mom, <laughs> you know, worker, mm -hmm. uh, uh, learning professional, human resources, executive, co you know, all this stuff. It's like the what I do, mm -hmm. how I spend my time. And I don't know if it's the older you get. There's so much history. It's just easier to put the label on it. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but the richness of how I why I made those choices, how I got to those places, the evolution of my journey, all of that was kind of left untold. And that's what I really love about your approach to storytelling is that you help people connect all of those themes and dots. Yeah, absolutely. So, so at the beginning, I was just formatting something that would be useful in two areas, executive coaching performance, and to help in the public speaking class that I taught at the university. Could I take all of this research? Could I distill it? And I landed on my third qualifying dissertation essay, which had the elements of this peak storytelling system. So I'm going to give uh, audiences a quick sort of glossary of terms. So story pathing is the act of curating your narrative we have a tool that's a digital tool. It's a lot like a, a digital class, like an online class, which is very intentional. It gives you two to four minute videos and forums to build your narrative. So whether you're prepping for an interview, career change, a leadership speech, a student who is trying to get into the college of her choice, whatever it might be, that works and stacks in a lot of areas, but that's story pathing. 
it's a digital tool and it's the process of curating your own narrative off of these, you know, these videos and forums that are designed to help you in that process. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it, it unveils something called the peak storytelling model. Central to story pathing is having a model, right? I mean, curating a narrative, but could I just make it up, right? Like, hey, I really like people. So I'm going to, I don't know. And then people just throw things around without any evidence. It drove me crazy. And I said, no, this can't be the case. You have to have evidence that something's possible. And not to say you can't change as a human being, but so I developed this peak storytelling model, which has rich, 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 rich insights uh, stemmed and research connection to humanistic psychology, um, uh, psychosocial, um, social identity, personal identity, relational identity, relational leadership rhetoric. I mean, the literature review is so crazy. I think the book that the book has uh, maybe uh, 16 to 18 pages of references right? Because I've distilled it all in an easily digestible model because some of my students at the university are, were English language learners themselves coming from Cambodia. And they were part of a dual enrollment program at the university. And by the way, they were in the same classroom as a sergeant from the Providence police force, who was a sergeant um, that was a leader on their SWAT team with some kids who were just getting back on track and pre-law students and then super achievers. And so we had this multi-generational, multi-cultural classroom designed to teach public speaking. And the most difficult topic was to tell your story, your own story. Mm. So instead of teaching them, you know, voicemail, you know, and how to handle you know, a presentation, it's your own narrative. So I made the whole class driven to teach that methodology. And why do you think, why do you think it's so important for folks to be able to, to tell their own story in a way that goes beyond titles, Mm -hmm. resumes, that sort of thing? Why is that so important, especially for those in the work environment? Well, think about it. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're one, one of the KKL fans out there, the do I dares, you know, do you dare do anything other than what's prescribed? Here's what I mean. When you're in, in an interview, right? The, you're inevitably going to either, if you're the interviewer, you'll ask after looking at the resume that was forwarded by HR that you found or discovered, you'll say, so, and you'll lean forward and you say, tell me about yourself, right? Mm. Or so, uh, can you give me any more background? Which is essentially, tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. So there is something that goes on that we just don't address organizationally, right? Which is, we're not teaching people how to get ready for that. So, you know, that storytelling episode. Now, if you're a leader and you're meeting new people, it's totally applicable there. If you're a leader being hired, executive assimilation, you're given, given storytelling latitude to account for your narrative. People let you speak more. That's really what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do your narrative accounting to me if you're new, Kimberly, and we work for the same organization. I would give you presumably storytelling rights up until about 100-ish days, and then the research supports that you are the story that I make up for you. And that might be Mm -hmm. right, and it might be wrong, right? Fascinating, yeah. So when you're transitioning, yeah, 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 transitioning is big. And uh, Ibera and uh, Barbalescu are are two researchers that that spend a lot of time on that um, topic. But I liked their research a lot, but they also did theoretical research. They didn't present a model that would be practical. So how can, so I'm a human being, if I'm 16, 60, 36, 
how do I figure out how to prepare myself to be the leader to answer that question, the interviewee, uh, the potential student of the institute? I, I work with students in MBA, highly competitive MBA programs. How do you get the nod from Columbia or Harvard to get in? Well, you have to tell your story, right? It's mm. the, the resumes are very similar, but the storytelling is what can be a differentiator and typically is. And it also gets you to revise a whole lot of other documents that support who you are. So yeah. self-identity is a central construct that we, we tend to ignore. We throw around words like story and identity, but we don't have a construct to explore our own lives. Our own lives are like the uh, discovery channel, right? But we don't go through it and rake through and discover what is it about this section of my life past section now or near now, which could be past, and then future possible plausible that could make sense. And we've broken this down into a hero story, a collaborative story, and a virtuous story. The peak story model teaches how to find those, how to connect those, and how to be enlivened as a storyteller by them. Yes. And what I love about the concept, because every, you know, we hear this all the time, especially in the corporate mm-hmm. world, right? You got to be able to, you know, tell a story. You can't just go and pitch at people. You can't just go spew data at people. You have to make meaning of it. Um, and many folks can eventually grow into being able to do that about the work. But to your point, they forget how to do it about themselves. And as a recipient, a listener, I am so much more engaged when people drip information to me that allows me to slowly connect to who they are how they got there, what we might have in common, um, uh, something about them that helps me to trust them or to invite them into my world, those sorts of things. So this whole concept of being able to tell your own narrative, tell your own story is so important to your point about if you're 16, 60, somewhere in between, older, younger, et cetera, your ability to connect and influence with others is really what this is all about. Yeah. So I think of you, right? And and I think of you had a story. And if I met you for the very first time, and if folks listening know you and know your past, they could look you up on LinkedIn. They could say, oh, GE person, Crotonville person, ooh, leadership person. Um, So what's the thin slice? What's the the catch? What do I think about? Well, she's a super corporate person who is probably by the book, slightly rigid. And if she doesn't work there anymore and started her own enterprise, then she's probably boom, boom, and boom. And now mm-hmm. you have to show up to a conversation and say, well, yeah, but no, but the world doesn't operate, right? Where, where it allows you to be dominant with your use of language, right? You know, it's a, as Steven Pinker says, window is, uh, you know, language is a window into social relations, right? And so how do I articulate language uh, to be uh, not kitschy at all, but an authentic expression of what I believe are formative lived experiences, folks, these are self-event connections that define you. People you tend to use this phrase a lot, connect the dots of life. Well, I'm connecting the dots, but seldom do they, uh, do they ever do that in their own narrative, right? They might say, oh, this makes sense. We sold this property. Now we live here. And Johnny went off to school and married Francine and you know, the dog died, uh, the dots connected. That's a terrible story, first of all. Secondly, it's, 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 it's a, we don't apply it to our own narratives. So why yeah. does that happen? Number one, reflection. We live in a world that uses the word like culture, like leadership, 
like story too much and like reflection, but we don't do meaningful reflection. Certainly, you, uh, if you've done any Buddhist practices or meditation, you can get to reflection, or if you're religious or spiritual or enjoy walking in nature, absolutely. But reflection around your life that allows you to land on formative moment, not a zone of life, but a singular moment that was relatively defining. In therapy, it would be considered a pivotal shift point in some cases. But we want to find them, and we want to find nine of them, and we want to study them. And then we want to connect them to create that peak story so that we can self-represent well across audiences, varied audiences, and give different episodes of the telling. So the cool part about the book coming out is that it's actually the way in which you can story like you mean it. And that's the title that we chose, right? Or that I chose. And I had all of these notes and the publisher's like, well, you could do this, this, this. I gave them my final two and they five of them voted story like you mean it. And I said, of course, you know, it makes sense. Because if you are to narrate and story like you mean it, meaning comes from the, the conscious, right? those moments that you become conscious of through self-reflection, those moments. Now, it's not just landing on a moment. It's understanding that a moment holds rich information about your life. So this comes from my background as a phenomenologist, as a researcher. And this is studying the mind through subjective lived experiences. What this really means, folks, is that if you focus on a live, any lived experience, whether it's super weighty in your life and you think, hey, this has value, for me, it might have been almost breaking my neck on my bike or quasi-breaking it, whatever. <laughs> um, if I go back there, I think of the power of place, people, what competencies or mental muscles I had, right? What, I, what, what, where was the place? Oh, outside. If I think of school, if I think of the people I taught BMX tricks to, if I think of the science people I like to be around, I can start to decode uh, themes and threads of my life. And, and that allows for the dot connection to happen. But, but, but I have to look, identify these moments, unpack them like a psychologist or phenomenologist in my own life. So the book goes into the uh, first couple of chapters, all kinds of reasons why storytelling is so important today, right now. And then we get into the model. And the model suggests, so think of a triangle. And if you've studied Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, you know that he loved triangles just like I love triangles. The first story is the base of the triangle. The base of the triangle is the hero story. This is not a story where, where you heroically save somebody from uh, getting hit by a bus and knock them out of the, into the gutter. This is, this is about you land on, in the world alone, okay? And just like in Maslow's world, food and water is what you need most, physiological needs. You need to honor the fact that you did something heroic early on in your life. So this is a past story where you overcame an obstacle for your own perseverance. You were gritty. You adapted, uh, went through a divorce, came uh, or, or kid of, a, of, of divorced parents was really a struggle. You had to learn a second language, an injury, maybe uh, standing up to a bully. These are heroic stories where you had to find uh, confidence, courage maybe even lower your leadership, maybe increase it. And there were some reasons for that. The second type of story is in the middle of the diagram. And the, the middle is where you belong in Maslow's diagram. So collaboration is about creating something with another. As a human being, you're in social interactions. You're not just alone, you know, obliterating obstacles, right? You're not trying to run ultra marathons by yourself, as David Goggins uh, tells in his uh, book, uh, um, 
you can't hurt me, right? Can't hurt me. Um, you are doing it socially. So, so you're doing work socially. You, you and I are together here socially. So to create something like an episode in your podcast means that if it's formative, if it's a formative moment, I won't forget it, right? It's really strong. And if I study that moment, that story, it's probably some rich information that is informing to me, the human being, to my life, okay? And so when you're not just belonging to belong, but you're belonging to create, to get along, we call these often, uh, uh, you know, to get along and do good work stories. Sometimes they're negative, right? Because somebody uh, shuts you up and you're used to being in charge and whatever it might be. That's okay. If you follow the process in the book, you'll find some positive in it, some lesson. Mm -hmm. And the top of the map is because we're aspiring upward is the evolution of that self at the bottom who uh, becomes uh, a bit more virtuous. By virtuous, we don't mean anything super fancy pants here. We mean virtuous means that, that you are living a life that it would be immoral for you not to work in a particular way. For teachers, it would be immoral for them not to teach once they discover it. Okay. Um, so understanding. Because they love it so much. They love it so much. Because they just think they were meant to do they it. They were meant to do it. Their competency is alive. They're alive. They're, they're screaming. They're like, they lose track of time or, or time becomes weird. It's thinly sliced versus lose track of. And, you know, we're talking in the book about, can you manufacture that next virtuous moment? And that next step, virtuous moment, is an important one. Sometimes we just catch a whiff of it. Like, boy, I'd like to teach, but not in the traditional sense. Or I want to live, a, live an out-of-doors out of life, but I want it to involve being a nurse practitioner. Hmm, that, that's interesting. So it might require some imagined variation of what you've already experienced in life. And that's why we call that the future. So the future is virtuous. That's top of the, the diagram, right? The peak moment. And... Uh, that's when you say, I love this, whatever it is. The middle is collaborative and the bottom is heroic. When you have three dots, one from each layer, and they're connectable in a story, that three-stage story becomes your peak story. And it tells the listener, one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, one-to-thousand, who you are over time. And the characterization of who you are becomes emergent in the telling mm -hmm. itself. If you're an innovative teacher, so for me, I'm this BMX kid who explored new sports, pioneer quester, to create excitement. And then I decoded them using my math brain to teach people the angle to hit the jump, how to pass people. And I was coaching people without realizing I was coaching and teaching, right? And when I, when, and, and I had to overcome an injury there, that's one of my blue dots. Another blue dot would be learning how to present to these adult high-end scientists, my concept for the FBI proposed concept in my science fair project. Well, that's a really hard thing. I had to figure out how to wrangle with language and to prepare myself. So that was a, a bit of a moment. Even though I did it with others or two others, others were involved, it was on me. That was heroic. Now, collaborative happened maybe more down the road where I learned to use language to discover where I could have even more meaningful impact on transforming communities, whether they're schools, workplaces, right? So you can mm -hmm. see that you're starting to see a pioneer quester, you're starting to see a, a forever teacher sage archetype, and the book takes you through how to tag and find these beautiful moments in your life where you can reclaim a sense of vitality in the past, mm -hmm. connected to now, with the future imagined variation of your life to lead you forward. So. 
Kimberly. I get pretty excited about this because what we're doing is we're taking something that is considered only for the PhDs and the PsyDs, the psychologists and the doctors, and you know, only for academic conferences. Well, mm -hmm. one of my endorsements in the book comes from, actually a few of them come from some really interesting sources. Um, but one of them uh, comes from someone who is a phenomenologist up at University of Ottawa, who is the chair of the conference. And she's fascinated that this information is becoming accessible through a book that will impact how people tell their own stories. She said, mm -hmm. you know, she was fascinated with the title, she said, uh, when she first, when we first met. And I thought to myself, well, now I'm, I'm glad they're not throwing eggs at me in the academic community because I'm giving some secrets about how people can hack their own lives, right? And sense make. Because if you're living a, a sense making life, then you'll feel relevant and prevalent if you can tell your story within it. You can fashion your story to go into the interview, into the moment, into that critical conversation, and you can feel better. And if you've built it and you've repped it a bunch of times and you've iterated off of it, you're, you're, you're not overly focusing on that telling. It, it, it actually unfolds very easily. And by the way, as a human being, you're living your life, you're going to collect more, we call them blue dots in the book, uh, significant life moments. So it can become a philosophy for organizing your life, which is oh, powerful. Oh, for sure. So powerful. And, you know, Dennis, you and I do very similar work in, in terms of executive coaching. And, and sometimes assessment is a huge part of that. And uh, oftentimes the assessments, just for our listeners' um, benefit, the assessments we do can be quite custom, meaning we'll ask for a list of people who that particular talent thinks knows them really well, right, up, down, and sideways. And we schedule a series of phone calls with them. So we schedule 30-minute calls that uh, will uh, allow us to ask a number of questions and eventually get that person's perspective on the talent that we're, we're dedicated to. Um, and when I first started this years ago, it was uh, really just focused on the work, right? Tell me about their job. How do they do their job? Do they do their job well? Would you ever work with them again? That sort of thing. And eventually, as I matured and went from smart to still aiming for wise, but I'm leaning into it, um, I really started to understand a lot more about, you know, we've got to really think about this differently. They achieved high status. And usually this sort of executive assessment is, is um, reserved for the most senior of the, of the ranks because it's, it's a costly and timely um, proposition. But those tend to be the folks who probably need a very different story about themselves built out of this assessment. So what you and I do then for a living is the first chapter or section of our assessments tends to be about their personal story. Tell me how you grew up. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your siblings. What did you think you wanted to do when you were younger? How did you spend your time? What kind of a kid were you, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm working with a gentleman right now who's just a fantastic leader. And I now interview family members as part of this process because I think how you do anything is how you do everything. And as I interviewed uh, this particular leader's uh, family, I, I had a chance to interview his son, which was, I was just so honored to be able to have that, that time with him. And he described his dad in such a way you could feel the sense of awe that he had about his father. And what he did was talk about how they spend their time together, which happens to be fishing. So I'll try to keep this as general as possible to not, uh, not release any uh, private information uh, nuggets here. But I said, well, tell me about what you learned about that from your dad. And he said, you know, one of the things we're really thinking about now is that 
fish are really finicky. Fish can really get a sense of, of what's going on above the surface with just the slightest of, of movement, of smell, of vibration, of color, of sound. So he tried to explain how intuitive they need to be to the party across the way, in, in this case, the fish. And what was so interesting about that is the way that he told the story about how they look at the fish is then how he ended up telling the story about his dad and his dad's reaction to people around him, that he was super sensitive and super empathetic to the trials and tribulations and struggles and successes of those around him. And he drew this just beautiful story uh, and correlation, maybe metaphor, uh, between what they, how they spend their time together and how he thinks about his dad's interaction with others and what he's learned about that. So as I presented this story then to the talent, it, it became the opener for his 40-page assessment and about how in which this you know, very accomplished senior leader um, shows and demonstrates empathy in a number of different ways. I got to tell you, as I was unpacking this for the leader, I don't, I got the sense that this was the first time, number one, he thought about himself in that way. And number two, as I then share this assessment with the vital few people who are invited into this kind of process, usually the CEO and, and the chief human resources officer, it gave them a chance to see this particular human in a way that couldn't possibly be seen in a boardroom, in a uh, a conference room in a one-on-one -on -one discussion because we never take the time to put all the pieces together. Wow. So a long story to just unpack the the purpose and intention of of being able to tell your own story is because if you don't control the narrative, somebody else is going to. Right on. Wow. Well, what's really great about this illustration that you brought into our conversation is that you know this assessment that you do is a bit for the elite. Right. So this is for very the elite. So. so this is like a, a very um, does not uh, does not allow a person to get the full benefits of working a system. And what I have, uh, I remember speaking to the publisher, a few publishers, and I said, look, I'm going to democratize a model that was for the uh, executive uh, community and that I know also works in other uh, settings. And so in a given week, I will take the system or month, and it will be taught in prisons. It will be taught, it will be taught by, um, it will be taught in universities, executive learning tracks, the CVS diversity uh, learning program, executive learning program for diverse suppliers at uh, CVS Health. It will be taught uh, online to 162 interns. It will be uh, used by somebody preparing for a 5,000-person um, audience, a multi, what she calls a multi-world audience, to do a mic drop moment for lung cancer research and advocacy. Mm -hmm. This will be used by and by and by. And so whether you're a pharma executive, a CEO or a COO of a bank, starting your own organization, the chief accountancy accounting officer for a publicly traded company who normally doesn't speak, but now can assemble a narrative that unveils who he is more. The, having a structure like this peak storytelling methodology allows story pathing to actually happen. So without mm -hmm. a model, right, 
an apparatus, it becomes really challenging. So what I'm most charged about, and I know you had asked me this before we started, is that that democratizing, the full yeah. access, having coaches, having online programs, having the book being released uh, March. Oh, my daughter's birthday is March 14th, same day as Mar uh, is same day as uh, Albert Einstein. And oh, she said that was strategic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> luck, right? Randomness. And um, and uh, she said, "Don't release it on my birthday, Dad." You know, like that's for me, not for your book. And I said, "Oh, uh -huh. you, you, interesting. We'll talk about her assessment later." And uh, <laughs> and uh, so Abby said that, and uh, so it's the 16th of March. So it's coming up uh, pretty yeah. uh, like kapal now. Yes, right. And yes. so we're really excited about the book because it'll it'll get in the hands of people who can uh, take that time out, whether it's COVID, post COVID or just intentional um, yeah. reviewing of their life. And the back of each chapter has exercises to do. So they have a benefit of as if they were in a class. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about the book. I'm excited about the access and uh, even folks who have gone through the program who are on the early reviewer list are saying it's like a conversation that turns to automatic action by the end of the chapter. And that's exactly what I was hoping it would do. Exactly. And to your point about democratization of this concept, everybody should be able to tell their story to advance, uh, you know, their, uh, to advance the story. So my, you and I have talked quite a bit about our, our kids and as a mom of a 19 year old in college who's starting to think about what she wants to do. She's in the business school at her college and, uh, and they have this four part, I, I think it's charm school, but they call it something much more sophisticated than that. But it's really meant to help these college students understand how to navigate the world of business, right? What there are, there are norms and mores and, and, and cultural nuances that they just have to be aware of in order to be successful. And part of that is, how do you do a great introduction of yourself? That's like, you know, step number one, not only how do you have a firm handshake, but then it's what comes out of your mouth when you're, you know, about to sit down and, and have this great conversation. So I was sharing with my daughter all about you, your work, the work that I was so fortunate to do with you and, um, and now our study of that work together. And I said, Katie, Dennis has a book coming out. You and I are going to go through that together. And I want you to think about your story. You've been at your very young age exposed to some incredible things. You're so talented and so bright. You just need to be open to thinking about connecting all of those dots in a thematic way that will say at the age of 22, when you graduate, I've got some stuff to offer and I've got a story to tell and I've got some value to add. And let me tell you all about it in a way that's meaningful, can be consumed and, and can be appreciated. And I think that's what you are giving to the world, Dennis, with this great book, this great approach is the way to tell their story that helps people understand I matter, I can matter to you, and I can add value in our relationship. And let me tell you how. And it's just great. You don't need to be an executive paying a bazillion dollars to folks like us, right? Yeah, Although we like right. that. Yeah, we don't mind it. I mean, it does, you know, it's- We a, don't mind yeah, it. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So that's the Cadillac version though, but everybody can drive this vehicle and, and right. uh, make it win. So I'm, I'm so appreciative of you doing that for all of us. Well, I, I'm absolutely thrilled that you use that as a connecting point with your daughter too. And, and that's a big part of where I see growth. So here's where the world's broken when it comes to storytelling. If you're wondering mm -hmm. this, it's exactly where you said it is. 
going from high school and a little bit before high school to college, we teach kids how to, how to do their college essay. No, they hurry up and do it. Maybe you hire a consultant. People criticize it. They tell them what they think that they should do based on what they think that they know about the person. This human being, your student, my student, my daughter, my son, our people, our cousins, our nieces, our nephews, the kid down the street, they're smart. They're capable. They have agency. They have brain power. They do a lot. They can figure out their own story, but not without a map mm-hmm. to investigate That's their right. life. That's right. Right. So I'm really excited about, about the book's impact in that space to help with the number one failure point, because guidance counselors have on average in the United States, 411 students per guidance counselor. They're not having a meaningful exchange about someone's life. Uh, that is going to uncork this kind of outcome that a student could do on their own. The second failure point is you go to leave college, as you, you're rightly pointing out, and you know, really success centers, they call them in many cases, or career centers, they are trying to have students capture their best self through the written word, resume, finishing school of sorts, some right. language decisions. Here's a great opportunity for us to impact our schools, right? So I have uh, many folks who are contacting me about this right now, presidents of universities saying we want to Im- put this into our career track. We actually took our course offline completely to help students because we don't know if it's effective. And we do know that nobody finishes the online tool. So mm. for us, we're really excited about that. The third spot is you go into an organization. And you're telling your story, right? So how do you do it? Well, we spend all of this time investing as HR and HRD departments, right? Human resource development departments. Hey, we've got the right candidate. We did the assessment. We did the Myers-Briggs, the IPSP, the LMNOP, the Hogan. And, you know, (laughs) you, you name the initials, right? And, but we don't help them assimilate, right? But we say, hey, You know, we're glad for you to be part of the story. Just only speak when spoken to and Mm -hmm. only when you're invited to this meeting. So the good news, Kimberly, is the flip is in. People can be empowered by their narrative. You see it everywhere. People who had less Mm -hmm. power now have, in fact, more power. Okay, think about diversity, uh, equity and inclusion initiatives. Think about everything that we're seeing that's positively inclusionary in the world right now. This is a time to take stock of who you are and positively frame it. And uh, boy, you know, we're, we're offering scholarships as well, five per uh, in the United States, one per region as we launch the book, because we want to get to human beings earlier, earlier. It, this doesn't mean that we, we're not upset or that we are upset or that we don't want you to take five years or six years at, to do college, but wouldn't it be really cool if you could do it in a little bit less and that you could be out there earning money more quickly or earning mm-hmm. meaning and then money follows, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? How would that impact, right? How would that impact you, your family, someone who you love and care about, your ability to, to yeah. own your own animal, have your own apartment, right? And for people who, are, who finally find the window, the opening, who are down the path in their career, and they could actually get that job in San Francisco and finally do the West Coast move, how are you getting ready? Is the commissioned... <laughs> headhunter actually telling you what to say? Is it really your stuff? Mm-hmm. Right? Are, why are you even taking that meeting and that interview with that particular company when you could discover this one is more in alignment with your life moments? 
mm-hmm. but but it, there needs to be a pathway. So anything that's beautiful in life, including a wonderful story, is duplicatable like art through a system. And that's oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that's the point. Yeah. So absolutely. And I think this is where, as we talk about being able to, you know, own your narrative and have your narrative be the one that others at least get introduced to. And then of course, everyone will, you know, all bets are off, right? It's based on performance and your interaction and the depth of your relationship that's cultivated and that sort of thing. But to be able to tell your story and evolve your story to the person sitting across from you becomes so critical. What we see oftentimes uh, you know, it could be anything from a cocktail party to a, you know, a dinner party to a, a, a corporate event, corporate meeting, what have you, is that there's a tree, 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 but no forest. People can uh, make announcements about themselves, and it's usually based on what they've done, but not necessarily who they are. And it's the who they are people want to connect to. I want to know the person I'm going to be working with at this new job because that will determine whether or not I go home happy, quite frankly. I want to understand a little bit more about um, this person sitting across from me because I want to understand if, if they're going to be a great life partner for me or not. And, and don't make me work so hard for it. Tell me about who you are and how you became who you became. This, this point you're making, um, some reminds me of a conversation I had with a client said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing so much prep work for this. I said, yeah, you're finally turning pro. And, mm. and, uh, she said, oh, oh, you know, kind of did that like funny look at me with a furrowed brow. And, and I said, listen, you know, pro athletes spend a lot of time looking at film, right? That's like hearing your voice in this world. They study like you ought to be studying your own narrative, but you don't even have a building process. So we have to build it first. Then we go into storytelling applications so that each episode is shifted and you learn how to spend more of your energy understanding how to feed and fashion your narrative. Same three dots, by the way, or maybe you substitute one of the dots in and out from the nine that you have from the process, but you're able to do it with such ease and grace and honor. You embody a different persona because you are more authentic if we look at the people who make funny faces, like uh, Alex Rodriguez, when he was being interviewed by uh, Katie Couric uh, about being, um, uh, did you take a drug, drugs, right? Uh, uh, performance enhancing drugs, you know, and he goes, no. And he goes like this, his head goes, yes, but he says, no. Well, his head is saying yes. And, you know, he bites his lips, Lance, Lance Armstrong, all of these guys who have lied on TV, they're good human beings. They just you know, there were bad things happen, right? And sometimes we don't know how to explain it. I'm not bringing this up to poke fun at these two good men who I do believe are good human beings, by the way, or to make fun of Katie for not calling it out, but your body doesn't lie. So what happens when you tell an authentic narrative and not just use the word authentic, but a narrative that is, um, there's evidence in the narrative because the dots are yours, they're embodied, they make sense, they're enlivening, they're positive. Your, your voice changes, you go down to a calming level versus up, 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 up. And the other thing mm-hmm. I said was, and then when I said, up, 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 you don't increase your cadence. You, you, your breathing is better. It's a bit more yogic. You can feel more confidence. I mean, the word conf, confidence comes from confidere, which is Latin for filled with trust. So I mm-hmm. trust in my own narrative. I have confidence and belief. Because mm. I've studied it, I'm just activating it in this moment as I interview, 
right? Yeah. Right? Mm, so that, that's that. it, right? We want people a story yes. like they mean it, Kimberly. Yeah. So let's get, let's make sure all of the things are put front and center for our listeners to, uh, to uh, check out um, all of the great work that you're doing here, Dennis. So Dr. Dennis Rebello, D-R-D-E-N-N-I-S-R-E-B-E-L-O.com is where folks can go to uh, buy the book Story Like You Mean It of, um, out March 16th. 16th, not on Abby's birthday, of course. That's right. Um, and you're doing some really cool stuff. You've got some contests going on. You've got some scholarships going on. Right. So I bet they can go to that uh, website again, drdennisrebello.com to not only investigate the book, which I highly recommend, but also, and we'll put all this in the show notes, of course, everybody, just like usual, um, but also just stay in touch with what Dr. D is doing here uh, and and get involved. And not only for your own uh, edification, but for those around you, which I think would be just a, a fantastic gift to the world. Mm. And remember, your story survives you, whether it's an interview, mm-hmm. your longer narrative, your life narrative, or a key leadership moment. And as Warren Bennis once said, uh, becoming a leader and becoming yourself, right? It's simple, yet, but yet also that difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So becoming a leader is synonymous. That's the word, synonymous with becoming yourself. I omitted it in my first rip. Uh, I love it's, that. Yeah, it's precisely that simple, but also that difficult. So it's less difficult when you have a process for setting the stage mm-hmm. for how you can say who you are mm-hmm. and think of who you were, right? And account for these life moments. Then it becomes not just a hope as a strategy. I hope I do well here, but you're turning pro. So here's to everybody turning a bit more pro so that they can story like they mean it can really, right? Love it. I love it. So Dennis, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you to unpack all that is storytelling and, and the uh, great model and methodology that you've put together for the rest of us to enjoy. I love that, that you've made this available to everybody. So again, March 16th, everybody, story like you mean it, drdennisrebello.com for all things story pathing and peak storytelling. I'll put all those details in my show notes. Um, And until next time, go out and do it. Cheers. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the Do I Dare podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Share a topic of interest or a struggle that's top of mind for you. We'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. And for more information about Do I Dare and all things leadership, Visit KimberlyKlimanLee.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and stay tuned for exclusive content access to the tools and resources you need to lead.